You're listening to a Flawless Noises Media Network production. On this episode, we're talking to a friend of the show, Shanae, about mothering through illness and a few other assorted topics. So as a reminder, make sure you use the hashtag MamaMeetsPod when you're posting about the show while listening. I always love hearing from you, and I want to make sure I can easily locate your comments and interact with you, especially on Twitter, because I search the hashtag a lot. Sometimes it gets crazy on my main account, which is brief, um, underscore it's Miss Bree. I'm trying to give you all my Instagram name. My bad. Um, so you can reach me at any of the following. Twitter is Mama Meets Pod. Mama Meets World Pod is my Instagram. Facebook is easily searchable. And my email address is always Mama Meets World Pod at gmail.com. You can also follow my personal pages. I'm sure you know what they are by now. If not, they're always in my show notes. And let's get to it. Today, we have somebody amazing who you've already heard now. Shanae is joining us once again. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure. I told you I would be back. Yes, and I appreciate you actually coming back because you know some people are like, oh yeah, I'll do this anytime, but then, you know, people. (laughs) People not people. So I'm so, so happy to have you here today. You're working on some amazing things. Um, I wanted to give you the platform to talk about those amazing things you're you're working on because the Polly episode was a really good episode. Got a lot of really positive feedback. I know that you were on, um, well, actually, your partner was on Not So Newlyweds to talk about, you know, the conference and the lifestyle and things. I hate calling it a lifestyle, so what? Sorry. But, you know. Just you can, talk- so we actually prefer love style. Oh, that's, that so is, that's a little bit more accurate. So maybe that might be a change that you can make that feels better for you. It does feel better because every time we think about lifestyle, I just hate that terminology in general when it comes to all things love, um, because nothing's really a lifestyle. Nobody calls it, you know, the straight lifestyle, especially, you know, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine. It's like sexuality is clearly not a choice. Clearly. Right. There are those, there are polyamorists among us Mm -hmm. who um, very much feel that they were born this way. So love style is more polyamory kind of, I know for me, it describes how I go about loving people. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've recently realized is that it doesn't just affect my romantic relationships. Um, So it really is a love style because it even affects the way that I interact with my friends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I don't feel a need to have really strong, like hard lines within my friendships, right? Because right. I'm bisexual and I'm polyamorous. So if I love you, I love you. And the way that that love shows up could show up in, you know, today it could be me supporting you through a very hard time. And two weeks from now, it could be like we smash in. But the love is still there and the love is love right so um so that that really helps me that realization that it informs my way of life and how I approach relationships has kind of been a a late 2019 um revelation for me (laughs) you know I think it's amazing that we're always like kind of 
I think the mark of a good person, I should say, is having those realizations and having those breakthroughs, you know, that you never stop growing, you never stop learning about yourself. That's a really important space to be in. You have to continue to learn about yourself if um, if you're going to grow. And if you're not, if you, if you decide to, like, stay stagnant, it's one of the things where you're really just going to be left behind. Right. Um, but. I really I wanted to tell you thank you for allowing me the space to come and talk about Black Poly Pride in its inaugural year. Um, it was, and I told you I would promise. I told I promised that I would come back and tell you and talk to your listeners about how it went. And it, it has taken me so long, right, to come back, y'all. Mm-hmm. Not because of my schedule, but because I've really been doing a lot of processing because it was actually the best word that I could come up with to explain is transformative. Uh-huh. Um, I have never been surrounded by people so much like me in a mm. space that was so affirming of all of my identities. Right. It right. was a queer friendly space. It was for most of the weekend, an all-black space. It was everyone there was some form of ethically non-monogamous. And it just felt so wonderful to be able to introduce all of my partners and no one blink an eye, right? Like, right. <laughs> that happens so infrequently for me that just being able to exist in that space was amazing. Um, we had more attendees than we thought we would. Good. And everything really just it, it. I I'm a I'm a dreamer, right? Mm-hmm. I think big, but this really exceeded my wildest dreams. So um, the question I have for you, just saying that, like you're saying, like it was such a positive experience, and there were so many people. Like I know that we're told to dream big, and we are big dreamers. But like in your heart of hearts, did you think that it would turn out the way that it did? Absolutely not. I didn't think that other people, so as I sit here and tell you that for me, it was a transformative experience, Mm -hmm. I didn't think that I would hear that mimicked from other people, but everyone who attended has told me that it was life-changing, and that is what I didn't expect, right? I didn't expect that something that, you know, just me and my co-founder's heart would actually become something so important in everybody else's life. I'm really really happy that it turned out well and beyond it turning out well, because, you know, I feel like even sometimes when things turn out well, we still kind of doubt ourselves. I'm glad to put you in such a transformative space. It really did. I am. Let's just say we came home and immediately started planning for Black Poly Pride 2020. (laughs) Okay. So speaking of, since we're talking about Black Poly Pride 2020, you have a location. We have a location. So Black Poly Pride 2020 is going to be held in Washington, D.C. Chocolate um, City or not Chocolate City anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's, um, it is June 4th through the 7th. So it starts, mm-hmm. it kicks off on Thursday afternoon and it goes to Sunday afternoon. Um, and we, my co-founder and I are just super excited to um, like D.C. is just the perfect location for our second um, annual Black Poly Pride, and we got some, we got some really dope shit that we are planning, um, and you know some surprises up our sleeve as always. 
Well, I'm glad that, you know, it's there's a year two. So I'm just happy that, you know, I want all black people to find their space. And black spaces, black people are not a monolith. So black spaces look different for everybody. And I'm glad that we're finally getting into this way that we're like, okay, even though black people are not a monolith, we still want to find ways to connect with each other. And y'all doing something as big as this is really big, not just for, you know, you guys, but also for everybody else. Because seeing a marginalized community do something so big gives me hope for other communities, you know, within the black race, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh one day I would hope to have some, you know, like a mom conference for, for black women, because we're, we're a segment that kind of gets overlooked. Um, all, you know, that's why I started the podcast because we get overlooked because everybody's white mom bloggers talking about recipes and shit and their husband works and they stay home and everybody's life isn't like that. So that's really, so you're trans- saying that we're planning a mom conference in Q4. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I mean, you know I'm hot what? now. I'm going to say, yes, let's yes, do we it. Are. All We're right. gonna do it. We're gonna do it because yes, think and dream big. Because listen, if I want to do it, you want to do it. There's somebody else that's gotta want to attend it. There's so many. Listen, there, there. What I have found, one of the the greatest things, like I'm leading up to my Jesus year, right? So I'm six yeah. months from 33. And I am finding so much clarity mm-hmm. about what's really important to me, right? So it's really my my passions are really kind of rising up and um, making themselves clear. I don't know if I talked about it last time we were on the podcast, but I actually run a poly group for moms. Um, it's called Momming While Poly <laughs> because um, it it it. it being a polyamorous mom has some very unique perks, right? Right. But it also has some very unique challenges. I can imagine. Uh, and I am passionate about motherhood in general. And I'm passionate. Um, I mean, you know that I've been passionate right. about motherhood since before I was even a mom, right? Right. That's how the pregnancy pack started. Um, and so... all of these intersections, um, all of my intersections, I'm passionate about finding women and meeting them in in those intersections, right? Like you're black, you're polyamorous, you're a mom, you're black, you're a mom, you're polyamorous, like all these different ways that I can connect with people. That is what 2020 is going to be about for me. So I'm really happy that we've just set that intention for a mom conference. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you said that because, um, you know, as I'm finally getting out of my fog to start planning from, you know, 2020 Q1, vision is the word that just keeps coming to me over and over. And it's uh, like I'm in the middle of a move right now. Well, not in the middle. I'm in the middle of an unpack right now, which is a pure shit. <laughs> I never want to move again unless I'm moving to a mansion or with Beyonce. Um, But I keep like. A friend of mine was like, you know, I see the vision. You know, my boyfriend was like, I see the vision. And I'm like, so many people have been repeating the same word to me. And to hear you say, you know, the vision, you have to have this vision for what you want is like super affirming for me. So, so I had, I'm going to tell like a quick story. Yeah. Um, so two years ago on my, so on my 30th birthday, 
um, when my friends and partners and lovers and I got together to celebrate my 30th birthday, we went to Frolicon together. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, Frolicon is like a sex positive. It's like where nerd meets sex conference. It's here in Atlanta every um, April or May. It's usually Easter weekend, but that year it just happened to be on my birthday weekend. And I had decided that I wanted to be a polyamorous educator. And it's one of those things where I had to take the first step. Right. So public speaking is something that just comes naturally to me. I've always enjoyed it. Right. But I had never pursued it as an adult. So I kind of went out on a limb. And there were some new speaker spots that were available for Frolicon. So, um, as part of my birthday celebration, I hosted a class at Frolicon, and I said, this is the beginning of my career. Um, and I am ecstatic to say that I can look back and two and a half years ago that I have now, I'm now in a place um, as far as my polyamorous educator career that far exceeds what I thought, where I thought I would be. Um, at this place in my life, you know, I, I'm, I'm constantly getting like messages and emails Mm -hmm. from people who I don't know who are saying like, Hey, I've seen your work and I just wanted to let you know, like, I really appreciate it. And I think black poly pride is really dope and all these things from people that like, I don't personally know. And so that's, it's very affirming for me to have realized like, Hey, you set a goal. Right. And you achieved that shit, right? So, so if you can just set more goals, you can achieve those too. So right. that, that's I what mean, I'm <laughs> clap for your damn self because that's that's huge. Like a lot of people will say, make these plans in their head, but you know, I'm all about getting up out of your head and on paper, mm-hmm. and out off of paper and into reality, into the world. Yeah. So now, I want to hear more updates about Black Poly Pride 2020 as the months go on. So, of course, I'm going to have you back um, all the way up into the launch. And, you know, I'm I'm planning to go myself. Yes. So well, here's, here's what's important to know about Black Poly Pride. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and anybody who attended in 2019 will tell you, I am business in the morning, party in the evening. Um, so your co-founder shows up every morning faithfully at 10 o'clock and she's there until about three. And after that, your co-founder disappears until 10 o'clock the next morning and I'm on party mode. So um, I am excited to have some of my monogamous and monogamish friends join me this year. Um, I, I just I'm really I'm, I'm excited to kind of expand my circle and have the support of people who maybe didn't know whether they belonged right. last year. Um, but it's it's going to be dope. Like, just trust it's going to be dope. Um, I'm excited. And, you know, um, our live show for Flawless Noise is in, is in Atlanta in February. Oh, oh, it's so. Yes. So I am looking forward to meeting you and looking forward to, you know, seeing bring all your fans, all your partners, everybody. I'm gonna put it on my calendar because listen, that's the first rule of successfully pollying is living and dying by your calendar. February. (laughs) Hold on. It's um, I think it's the second weekend of February. Um, Let me see. 
I hate to take a pause like this, but I need to let my listeners go too. Right. Like we all need to be. So it's going to be February the, uh, actually, I think it's March, March that 13th, 14th weekend. And that's very flexible as of right now, because we are still locking in a venue. Girl, Atlanta people in venues play in your damn face all day long. They really do. That's exactly what they do. They play in your damn face. Yes. It's been disheartening, but at the same time, you know, it's been, I'm I'm an eternal optimist. So the places we need to be, you know, they're going to fall in our lap or whatever. So we've got some don't, really strong talks going on. So we're, we'll be good. Don't forget that you do know an event planner in Atlanta. If you need, if you need some, some face-to-face intervention, I got you. And you know, I'm going to be taking you up on that. Like for real, real talk. We'll talk after the show. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so this episode, um, switching gears, major time. So I wanted to have Shanae on this episode um, because we are going to be talking about mothering while ill or while you're sick. So I'm going to tell you guys a quick story. Um, first of all, thank you so much for being patient with me. A bitch was pushing it. And, you know, I looked and it was time to record the podcast. And I was literally pale. I was tired I was I needed to take medicine my medicine and I was just like you know what um I told Curtis um you know the co-founder of the network like I'm gonna have to sit this week out you know this two weeks out and it's hard for me to sit a week out because a week means two weeks for my podcast so I I hate not connecting with y'all in that way but let me give you the backstory so um I was at I had kind of feel, been feeling generally crappy for a few, for a couple of weeks, I'll say a few weeks, but you know, I'm very much, the schedule is the schedule, the show must go on, you know, I got to go to work, and you know, remember, I'm coming off of Jameson surgery, so I'd already took all this time off of work for Jameson surgery, I was trying to find, financially recover from that, so I'm like, you know, I'm not missing work, so I've been feeling bad, but I made a mental note, like, make a, make an appointment with your doctor, Go see what this is. But, of course, in true brief fashion, the shit didn't slip my mind. I just put everything else in front of it. So, flash forward, it's a Wednesday, um, mid-September. I'm at work. I feel bad. But I'm like, you know, push through it. So, I pushed through it, got off of work, went to sleep, got up that next morning, went to work. Um, my work day was trash. And I was already in a in a mood and in a mode because, you know, my company is going through a buyout right now. It's very uncomfortable. Um just in general, and I'm an empath and I feel everybody's shit, so that was like a really heavy day for some reason at the office. So I get off of work and I'm looking forward to the drive home, and I felt pain so sharp, I had to pull over on the highway. So I could not see, like my my vision went blank because I was so, like I was hurting so bad that I couldn't do anything but just pull over to the side of the road. I'm doing Lamaze breaths. Do you remember that? The Lamaze technique, I'm like literally <laughs> <sighs> and heaving. Trying to breathe through it like you're having a whole other baby. It. Yes, like I'm ha- but it felt like I was having another baby. So my ass was like, girl, this is cramps. These are bad cramps, but they're cramps nonetheless. Like, you ain't no bitch. Put on your big girl panties and let's get these kids and get home. Well, I, I drive a little bit more and then I pulled over to the gas station to call my grandmother like, I need you to pick up Jameson um, and meet me at my house. So we go, I get to the house and she looks at me and she was like, you look like shit and you need to go to the hospital like now. 
But me being me was like, well, I got so much to do and I got to go to work in the morning. The kids haven't eaten or had baths or anything and I, I have nothing. And she's like, I'll, t- I'll take it from here. You go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital more to please my grandmother than I did because I was hurt because I didn't want to hear her mouth, honestly. And um, I go to this little small neighborhood hospital. Uh, for those of you familiar with Raleigh, it's Briar Creek area. So the big hospital here, Wake Med, has a little Wake, uh, Briar Creek campus. I go there. Um, I'm describing all my symptoms as cramps. It's like the pain is so blinding. I can't do anything. Like I'm nauseous. I can't, I feel like my body locks up. So the ER doctor is, you know, giving me the rundown, like, okay, well, we're going to do a couple of tests. You know, the ER doctor presses on my abdomen and I like literally kick her. Like I'm in so much pain. So they're like, we're going to send you for an ultrasound. Then I had to do the pussy ultrasound. Everybody knows. That's the worst kind. Not the fucking pussy ultrasound. The pussy ultrasound where you're already in pain. And And then they they stick it up in there. Mm. And then they stick it up in there. And then they're literally like they're basting a turkey. It's in and out. And I'm already in pain. My bladder is full. I'm uncomfortable. I'm in tears at this point because it hurts so bad. I go back out to um, to the room where they had me. And then he comes in. The doctor comes in. I was like, okay, you have an ovarian cyst. The ovarian cyst is big enough that it's wrapped itself in your fallopian tube. Your fallopian tube is dying, and that's why you're in pain. I was like, oh, all right. Um, This is a lot to process. Mind you, I'm there in flip-flops and my work clothes because I just slid on some shoes to go out the door. So they're like, I'm like, what's the next step? They can't even treat me at that hospital. They're like, you're going to have to go to the big hospital. I had nobody with me, so I called my best friend, and he was like, I'm on the way. They wouldn't let me drive to the hospital was how bad it was. They wanted to send me in an ambulance. And I'm like, I can't afford an ambulance bill because ambulances here are like $600 a pop and mileage. So my best friend gets there. He takes me to the hospital. The doctor before had explained it to me. They're going to give me a shot to kind of, you know, calm things down or whatever, see if they can shrink the ovarian cyst. I thought it would be a shot at the very least. I don't know enough about these things to know what they were going to do. But they were sending me to the high risk OB at the other hospital or whatever, just so I could get seen. So I get there. Another doctor sees me. They're like, okay, you need to scrub it. Like, we're going to scrub you and we're going to get you ready for surgery. I was like, um, excuse me? Excuse me, bitch. Excuse me, bitch. I got to go to work in the morning. My kids are going to be waiting for home. me. They're, they're home waiting for me. Everybody's waiting for me. So I, t- I literally get on the phone really quick and jump and call my grandmother. Like, they're taking me to surgery. Please watch my kids. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I don't even know why I'm apologizing at this moment where I'm literally, you know, a part, a piece of my reproductive system is dying. And I'm more concerned about, okay, well, my kids, where are they going to go? you know, for whatever. But, you know, thank God for my grandmother. So I have the surgery. They did it laparoscopically. I wake up. I'm like completely out of it. I have three big holes in my stomach, uh, one through my belly button. And I am a chunky honey. That belly button stitch has been the bane of my existence for like the past three weeks. When they put a stitch so far, so far and so deep into your body, I busted the stitch rolling over just in my chunkiness. Let me tell you something. I had that same incision for my gallbladder to be removed. Uh-huh. That shit hurts like a mother. It like, does because even when your insides are done hurting, 
the the outside is hurting too. Yeah, it's hard to get to. It's just trash. It is trash overall. So, okay, that's not even where the story ends because my dumbass only took a day off of work the day after. I tried to go into the office limping that Monday. And my boss was like, you know, don't push it. She's a good boss. So I made it till noon. I did not take the time off to recover. Half of it's financial because I'm like, yo, I just took off all this time for Jameson's surgery. I didn't plan for this surgery. Jameson's medical issues are very expensive. I was like, I wasn't thinking about this. And um, I was sitting home in pain. And I'm going to share this with y'all. And it's really embarrassing. But here we go. So I'm sitting at home in pain. I can't reach my pain medicine because my body won't move. I have nobody to call. Um, but wait, shout out to to Curtis, the co-founder, my friend Juanita, because they ended up coming in town that weekend and they took care of me all weekend. But Monday I was by myself. So that Monday where I was by myself, I tried to roll over off the bed. Couldn't because my midsection was so sore, like I was in so much pain. I was my bladder was full and I ended up urinating on myself. And in that moment, I was so embarrassed and I was so hurt. And I was so fucked up and I made myself a promise. I will never, never ignore pain again, because maybe this wouldn't have been so bad if I would have went to the doctor when I first started having problems, not when I'm blacking out on the side of the road because I'm in so much pain. I have to take better care of myself. And I think that's like a repeated theme that I need to take care of myself. But I do not take care of myself the way that I should. And I hear that, mamas. We have to take care of ourselves. And I've been faking the funk because I'm like, you know, how am I telling people to take care of themselves? So here I am not taking care of myself. So that changed my perspective. And as I was thinking about it, you know, I started thinking about you and you you post a lot of things about diabetes awareness and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, in this moment, in this two weeks of my life that was completely turned upside down by being situationally sick. I don't know what it feels like to be a mom and also have to manage an illness. And I want, you know, I want to hear not just about it, but other moms go through it too. And I'm hoping that you, you know, have some kind of helpful tips or, you know, how you cope to help other moms and shit to help me the next time (laughs) I'm sick, (laughs) you know? So having a chronic illness is definitely like, it's, it definitely impacts my motherhood. And as my son gets older, he's four and a half now. As he gets older, I used to try very hard to shield him right. from the facts of my illness. Right. I think that as mothers, that is our natural inclination to say, oh, mommy's fine. Mommy doesn't need anything. Right. But I'm a diet. I'm an insulin dependent diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, who also who also suffers from chronic anxiety, um, and the and there's a, a super duper link between the two. <laughs> so, um, just imagine like you're you're imagine the idea of being dependent on on another chemical that's outside of your body to keep you alive, right? So right. that produces anxiety, and then anxiety produces high blood sugar, and it's just like a loop. Um, so one of the things that I guess the best thing that I've had to realize is that Elijah needs his mom, right? Um, like diabetes, anxiety, all of the, the chronic illnesses that are plaguing me Mm -hmm. are things that could take me out. And so no matter how I might feel like it impacts my ability to be a good mom, 
I have to be here in order to be a good mom, right? Right. So, and and just being and being present even when you don't feel like it. You know, my mother is type one diabetic. So she's had diabetes way before I was even thought of or came along. So my whole life, all I've known was her being up and down sick. Um, when I was younger, my mom did not manage her diabetes the way that she should have. And I saw a lot of her episodes, a lot of, you know, uh, passing out, um, a lot of, you know, screaming to me to get, get juice or get sugar for her. And I think it scared me so much as a kid that I was, I kept vowing to myself, you know, if I, if something's wrong with me, you know, and I have a, a illness or whatever, I'm going to take better care of myself. But now that I'm an adult, I completely understand. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to balance a job, children. My mother was in abusive relationships. She was married again. You know, balancing all these things and balancing your emotions and having a chronic illness to wrap that in a bow. <laughs> I I thought that she was just irresponsible, not even going to lie to you from the outside mm-hmm. looking in. I thought that she was kind of irresponsible. Like, you know, you got to eat a certain way. You know, you got to take your medicine at a certain time. Why are you not doing these things? But life be life in. Right. And, and when you out here trying to take care of your kids, when are you supposed to take care of yourself? Listen, that is really the question. And so I won't pretend to have it figured out. Um, But what I have been doing better about is prioritizing, right? So sometimes spending time with Eli means me laying on the couch, monitoring my blood sugar that day. Like, like for instance, just yesterday, um, I went out Saturday night and um, basically my insulin pump failed. And because my insulin pump failed, I checked my blood sugar leaving the club and my blood sugar was 455. Jesus. Um, for, for people who aren't familiar with diabetes, uh, normal blood sugar is anywhere between like 100 and 150. Um, so I was four times what my blood sugar should be. And I didn't, because I was out and about and moving it, I hadn't checked my blood sugar in a couple of hours. I have a continuous glucose monitor, uh-huh. which allows me to just kind of scan my phone. And my phone tells me what my blood sugar is. So when I did that, leaving the club, 455. So that is, those are hospitalization numbers. They are. <laughs> and extremely close to coma numbers, to be honest. Yes, that is stroke out like those are bad it's bad it's real bad so basically if in a that kind of blood sugar when that presents that means that if I couldn't get it down to three or below in the next two hours I was going to the hospital right um so Sunday ended up being a day where I laid on the couch for most of the day and Eli kind of orbited around me he came um, he knows how to check my blood sugar. He can pick up my phone, open the app, and touch it to the circle. Like these are things that he that I have taught him. Like he knows how to check right. my blood sugar. He knows that if it starts with a two or or a three or a four, anything over that one, he needs to go tell another adult. Like we kind of have it it makes him feel more in control of the situation. Right. And less scared because mommy has taken the time to explain to him, like, this is what you need to do in case of an emergency. Um, 
And it just gets him in the regular habit of he asked, he said, Mama, what's your blood sugar? Mama, how are you feeling? You know, like these right. are things that we can teach our kids. We don't have to shelter our children from the realities of life. There you are know, eight appropriate ways to let them know what's going on. That's so amazing that you do that because I think, you know, just hearing you say that if I would have been included in the process and not just included in the emergencies, mm-hmm. it would have given me a calmer outlook on how my mother's health was as, as a kid. Right. And I, you would have had that ability to like you you would have been armed with the knowledge to prevent right. the emergencies. Right. Right. Because you you know how to check her blood sugar. You know how to say, oh, mom, you're going low. Let me get you some food. Oh, mom, you're going high. Let me get you some insulin. Like. The reality that I've had to face, right, and and children always kind of bring your bring things in sharp focus for you. Mm-hmm. I've had to face the fact that I will be a diabetic until I die, right? right. So that means that I'm going to be a diabetic for Elijah's entire life. So it doesn't make any sense for me to try and shelter him from that reality. You're doing him a disservice if you do that. Mm-hmm. And and what he what it will turn into is resentment. Like similar to the way that you kind of feel, you know, instead of him saying. And so I try to continually provide him with age appropriate information. Um, You know, sometimes he'll offer me candy or cookies or French fries. I'll say, mom, and he'll say, mama, you want some? And I say, well, we have to check my blood sugar first to see if I can. So that's and that's something that's relatively new for me as far as like letting him in. That's something I've been doing the past six months. Um, but it it feels, better, it feels better than trying to put on that like happy face like right. for him like I'm not sick. Um, and really just be honest. Be, I think being honest, especially as black moms, I think that honesty and transparency with our kids is revolutionary. Um, it is. That was always considered some white people shit. And that I think that black people have this culture of, you know, inside the house knowledge and it doesn't go anywhere. And like this, this keep and secrets culture in order to make everything present as normal. But what we, we have to realize is even when you try to do that, you're not presenting as normal. You're not presenting in the ways that you think you are. You're not, you know, hiding things as well as you think you're hiding them. You know, a, a great example being my mom. I'm, I'm sure that my mom thought by not explaining to me what diabetes was, by not explaining to me when she was, you know, why she wasn't taking her insulin at certain times, there was no explanation. So for me, everything was a freak out. Everything was high level alert because I was so scared by the time, you know, she asked me for my help that I had nowhere to turn and nothing, you know, nothing but fear. Um, And you said something, you know, interesting that you involved him in the process and involving him in the process, kids need to feel connected when you give a child a responsibility when you give a child a job they do 100% better with whatever you're asking them to do they -hmm. really take it to heart yeah when you give them when you you have to you have to teach your children that you trust them right and I think I think that it's a earmark of our culture to kind of don't not to trust our children Right. We don't trust them with the information. We don't trust them with the knowledge. We don't trust them with the actions. Right. So why? So I trust my child to take care of me because ultimately that's what happens. Right. Right. Ultimately, he will be responsible for taking care of us as we age. And um, 
I want him to feel good about that. And I want him to to understand even even when I have like a panic attack or when my anxiety I'm having a poor anxiety day, I try in age appropriate terms to explain that to him and let him know mama's feeling scared today. Well, mama, what are you scared of? Everything. Today I'm just scared of everything. And I could really use some extra hugs from Eli, right? Right. So you break it down in a way that a four-year-old can understand, but you're also not trying to pretend like everything is okay. Right. And that him having the ability to own a piece of helping you helps him. Mm-hmm. It's got to. Because now he can feel, he feels that ownership. He feels like in charge. He can help mama be better, right? Because right. he knows that if my blood sugar starts with a two, oh, mama needs some water. She needs to to take a walk. She needs some water. Like, we're slowly but surely teaching him the non-medicinal ways that mm-hmm. he can help and that he can treat me. So let me ask you this. Um, diabetes is one of those conditions that it's a fluctuating, it's an ever fluctuating thing. When is it that you decided, you know, that you were going to start letting him see, you know, or letting him understand or letting him have a piece of or a part of your, you know, taking care of you? So I would say that I made the decision about a year ago. Um, and because he's a very, very perceptive child. Mm-hmm. So he would see my partners giving me shots. Right. He would see I'm a very, very. <laughs> In case you guys haven't figured it out, I'm a very, very, like, on-the-go, busy, busy, busy kind of person. But uh, my diabetes and my anxiety, they lay me on my ass. So when Mama is on her ass, it's clear to Eli that there's something wrong, right? So he's like, what's wrong, Mama? What do you need? And I decided that I wanted to be able to be authentic in answering that question for him. I didn't want – I think we have inherited – a black mama way of lying to our children. Ooh. Yeah, that was deep, right? That was deep because there is a black mama way of lying to your children. And the first, the biggest and the number one lie is I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. I feel okay. Mom, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. I'm all right. And, you know, I, when I was sick this last time after surgery, it was the first time I didn't tell my kids I was okay. Because I was like, you know, you need to know that I don't feel good. You need to know that something is going on so that you can, you know, help me help you, <laughs> you right. know, especially with my older da- my my daughter who's older. She's 13. I tell she knows when something's not right. You know, she's very perceptive. And, you know, she she see me. She sees me all laid up and she's like, I want to know, you know, what I can do to help you. And immediately her whole demeanor everything about her change and she was so helpful she's been so helpful throughout this whole process and even Jameson you know not understanding that I was hurting for real understanding mommy had an ouchie and understanding that James that means Jameson needs to be quiet and or Jameson has to go play somewhere else Jameson can't jump all over the bed that helps but if I wasn't honest with them it'd be life as usual exactly and so it when we trust our children we we get to see that they will they they are able to and willing to rise to the occasion. 
And so what I have found, it's just kind of a reinforcement of a, of something that I firmly believe. And I, I really genuinely believe that people in general will meet the standards that you set for them. Right. You're right. And that's not just children. That's everybody, but it's especially children. Mm-hmm. I don't and think we give each our kids enough credit for how moldable, adaptable, you know, in it that they can be. And damn smart. They're smart. smart. So, um, so that's kind of my, been my lesson. And, and honestly, my, my parents and I have always had a very grown up relationship. My mama Mm -hmm. told me that at 10, I need you to be grown at 20. And at 10, I need you to be halfway there. Right. Mm, That's a good one. (laughs) When you think about it, when you just do the math, that's real, right? It is. Because, you everybody sends their children off to college at 18 but at 13 14 you won't if you won't leave them at home by themselves while you go to the grocery store something ain't the math ain't adding up right Right. (laughs) so and you know i think that um a big part of that too is we 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 are growing up very differently than our children are growing up and I know that I I feel right now that I was a lot more mature than Jaden was at 13, but it was because I was put in a lot more difficult life situations that Jaden ever has to face, right. you know, at 13 years old. But I'm also, now is the time that I kind of had to come to Jesus with myself, like, Jaden's 13 years old. It's time to start preparing her to be in the real world. You, I prepared her emotionally, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the emotions are good, but do I trust my child to go to the grocery store? Like if I'm sitting in the car, Oh no, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's shifting. And the fact that you have parents that did that is so amazing. And it has created a very unique relationship in us now mm-hmm. because they know that they raised me to be an adult. Right. Right. And there are a lot of parents still parenting, you know, in major ways that should have already been done. Children that are grown, grown. You know, you're going to be a parent forever. You're going to be parenting forever. But some shit is just baseline that your child should know by the time they get to a certain age. That is definitely true. (laughs) I mean, everybody ain't able. We all see it. But here it is. Right. We um, we see all around us adults whose parents just didn't require much of them. Right. (laughs) And it's it's very painfully obvious, you know, and I know this is off topic. I'm starting to realize that a lot of the, the emotional intelligence and, you know, shit that I want, it's because parents don't, it's hard to unlearn behavior that you're taught as a child. And if you don't give your children the space to be emotionally, you know, honest with you, they turn into emotionally dishonest adults. Right. <clears throat> so... And- one of the questions I think we need to ask is, are we being critical about the way we're mothering? Mm. Yes. Or are we just doing it like our mom did? You know, there has to be this shift in parenting, you know, that I feel like you get a year. You get a year on autopilot. If you're better than that, you don't get exactly a year or you start waking up before. For me, it took till Jaden was one and a half where I said, I am not parenting my child. I am basically mimicking my mother. Mm-hmm. And Jaden is not me, and I am not my mom. This is not going to work long term. Right. And I think that we have a unique opportunity to be self reflective, right? Right. I know that I can, I can identify some behaviors in Shanae the adult that I genuinely 
as much as I love my mom and dad, and they did an amazing job with all of us, there are some things about me that I want my child to not experience, mm-hmm. right? Yep. <laughs> Let me give you a funny story. So, and this is really just an example of the privilege bubble that I existed in for quite some time and I didn't understand. Um, you know how sometimes when a family member dies and they lack insurance, mm-hmm. um, some family members will go to like social media or crowdfunding right. in order to raise money uh, for their burial or their funeral. And so when all this, when this very much started happening, maybe about, maybe about 10 years ago, right? I asked my mom, I said, mama, is there late, is there life insurance running late? Why, why do they have to do this? Oh, girl. Right. The fact, that is privilege bubble for real. <laughs> Cause I'm telling you as a kid, I was the one like, we going to do a fish fry or <laughs> we doing a plate sale to church. Right. I I didn't know. So my father has worked for city government since I was four years old. So that's 29 years. Mm -hmm. So I don't know a world where people don't have life insurance. Right. Right. In my mind, at least enough to bury you. I mean, you know, your people depending on if you only have a hundred thousand dollar policy. Right. not have much left over. These are the things that I'm thinking about but it never before I had that conversation with my mom and she she lovingly laughed at me but she said baby girl that everybody doesn't have life insurance mm-hmm. and I was like and my it doesn't get any better guys I literally said I was like well well everybody's job has a little bit of insurance on them right <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was a shot a privilege uh uh, here girl here's a mirror moment for me right I realized that my son is growing up with even more privilege um and he is growing up more socioeconomically um advantaged and he has four professional parents Mm -hmm. and he has uh three sets of grandparents who are involved in his life and you know, like there's a lot of people right. that are contributing to him and to his life. And so one of the things that I'm having to be intentional about is sussing out that privilege. Right. right. And making sure that he knows that the way he lives <laughs> is not the only way and that there are other ways that are out there. Um, so, yeah, we I think it's really important to be intentional about our parenting. Um, and I know that can be hard to do because you have this idea that I turned out fine, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think that if we're all introspective, we can see all the ways in which some things that our parents did are harm, were harmful to us. Right. And turning out fine is not the benchmark of what you should do. I, you know, when people do the, I turned out fine, I want my kids to turn out better. Mm -hmm. Like fine is not good I want them to be awesome and amazing and groundbreaking you know like and not just fine and you think about we use fine in language just to communicate when we're actually not okay Mm -hmm. I'm fine you know I don't want my kids to just be fine I want my kids to be amazing like you said Mm -hmm. so 
just to wrap up uh, the show today, I want you, you know, because you have more experience to tell me and to tell our listeners, like, how did you, how are you putting yourself first? How are you making sure that you're good? And I know it's an everyday struggle and I know we all fall short of the glory, but (laughs) tell me how how you're trying to do that. One of the ways I'm trying is enforcing self-care. Um, It's this idea of putting on my own mask before I put on anyone else's. Um, So I am prioritizing rest. I take naps. I prioritize my health. Um, There are some days, I I call them bare minimum days. Mm -hmm. And there are some days where if me and Eli eat and bathe, that is all that I have accomplished today. And that is enough. So I think um, I'm really embracing this idea that resting is a revolutionary act for black women, right? Because it's just not a part of who we are. So rest, sis, like take faith, have courage, know that if you rest today, the world will not fall apart. You know, it's funny. My boss has this thing when I first, um, when I first started working at my company in the position that I'm in, I was going full throttle. I was doing the most and I was trying to barrel through it because I wanted to prove to everybody how good I was. And my boss bought me in her office and she told me, if you continue to go at this rate, you are going to burn out. And I was like, wait, what? I'm thinking she's going to praise me for doing a good job. There is no, there's no trophy for motherhood. Motherhood looks different in everyone and every day and every hour. Honestly, if you are not taking your kids to the park on a Saturday afternoon and getting them ice cream because you're tired and you need that rest, you did not fail as a mother. You are, you are pouring back into yourself. Right. And those kids were just as happy in there watching TV as they would have been doing anything else. Yes. Yes, and there's this big saying at my job, we do not work in an emergency room. (laughs) Motherhood is not an emergency room. If you cannot get to something today, you know, other than just bare minimums, the basics of feeding your kids and shit, I'm going to be honest with you and say, I don't know, I don't wash my legs shit, but Jameson can run around here on a Friday night and not take a bath at night. And, you know, we hit it tomorrow morning. Let me tell you something. We have a policy of no baths on Friday night at my house. You ain't going nowhere. You're not going anywhere. Not Friday night. I would rather take the time. My knees ain't as good as they used to be. I'd rather take the time up off my knees bathing you and be in the bed snuggling with you. That kind of rest, that that's the good rest. That's the good recharge. And you know, I am I am trying very hard to put myself first in the moment. In the overall grand scheme of shit, I'm always putting myself first, right? Right. I know I got to do this. I know I got to go to the doctor. I know I got to eat better. But (laughs) when we get down to the the moments where it matters. It's okay. It's okay to stay in the bed on a Saturday morning and let them eat cereal and watch cartoons. I promise they won't die. They will not die and they will have a good time. I think sometimes we're more invested in in the activities and shit than they are actually invested in. That's some kids. Listen, that's some kids in a real way. Because you need to to save yourself to love the kids. Take care of yourself. Because also, remember that your your children are watching you. Mm -hmm. Your children are watching you. And I promise you, please, especially if you're raising a son, these little nigglets have 
somehow in my generation glamorize the beating themselves up of the hard work that mothers have done. And they're on Beyonce's Internet talking about women must not require or need anything because they saw their mom work 15 jobs and never complained about it. Yeah, don't be that. Don't be that mom. Please, God, don't be that mom. Don't raise no man who think that women don't need to rest because you didn't. Or he never saw you rest or you never told him, like, nigga, I'm tired. (laughs) You know, I need this rest. Please don't be that mom. Right, because he out here, he out here talking about you didn't need no rest when you really, you was exhausted for 15 years. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Transparency. I I tell Elijah I am tired all the time. Eli, mama is tired. Why? I worked all day. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Honesty with our children is just really important. Right. It's so important. So, Shanae, once again, you are amazing, and I appreciate every time you come on the show. So, thank you so much for carving some time out of your, taking some of your rest time, your kid-free time, to come talk to us. Absolutely. I appreciate you. Um, so, while I have you here, um, why don't you plug your stuff? I want the, the website for, you know, uh, Black Poly 2020, et cetera. And, okay. and also your um, your Facebook page. Okay, so here's how you can um, here's how you can reach me personally. Um, I have a public Facebook page that is Sinead Jackson Kindle. Um, you can find it, and I will have Brie link it in the show notes. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at the real Sinead. Uh, you can find Black Poly Pride on Instagram. You can find Black Poly Pride. Um, we have a Facebook page. And you can, we're on Twitter at Black Poly Pride 1. Um, and also you can check out our website for updates at www.blackpolypride.com. Mm-hmm. That will make sure that you have all of the information and all of the um, details about Black Poly Pride 2020, which is June 4th through the 7th in Washington, D.C., um, if you miss the turn up, you will regret it. So make plans to be there now. Um, pre-registration for the conference starts on November 1st. And also I will make a uh, a very infrequent personal plea. Um, Black Poly Pride does have a Patreon and you can support us as a patron for as little as $3 a month. So if you visit our website, www.blackpolypride.com, there is an easy link where you can become one of our patrons and see all of the back uh, behind the scenes footage from Black Poly Pride 2019, as well as um, kind of follow along with us as we plan Black Poly Pride 2020. Yes. And what about your um, Poly Mom Facebook page? Oh, yes. So if you are polyamorous or non-monogamous and a mom, um, you can hit me up on Facebook and I will add you to the group, which is called Momming While Poly. Thank you again. I appreciate you. You guys know where to find me. Um, Also, some quick notes. Make sure you don't um, forget to subscribe to the show. Whatever you're using, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever, there's a way to subscribe. I'd appreciate it. Um, And also, uh, I, along with Candace, well, Candace has started Waste Away, which is the blog um, on FlawlessNoises.com. It's a blog chronicling, you know, her health journey. And she has been so gracious as to let me get on. I've already written my first blog post, and that's up over at Flawless Noises. And again, that's Waste Away, W-A-I-S-T, because we are cute. 
waste away. Uh, we're talking, and I'm getting really brutally honest about my shit. I'm actually going to write a blog post tonight um, about, um, I'm trying to do the bigger work and, you know, and not just losing weight, but changing my relationship with food and changing my relationship with exercise because I've gotten a lot of jacked up shit from the way I was raised. And um, I, I really want you guys to, to peep my journey and understand that we ain't alone in this. Um, we also have a new podcast on the network. It's called Mystic Moments. All that spiritual shit, if you love it, if you're into it, which I am, we have, you know, our co uh, our host of the show is amazing. I've listened to the episode. Um, he's really good. Find more of any of our shows on FlawlessNoises.com. And thank you so much for listening. Shanae, thank you so much for being here. I love Absolutely. you so much. Love and I appreciate too. Good it. Good night. <laughs>